Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. I am here with our amazing producer, Nathan Yoder, and our illustrious co-host, Aaron Mercer. You love when I say illustrious. I mean, I guess it's a good way. Yeah, illustrious. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with it. So we have go. legend and illustrious. I think I'm next. So we'll see, <laughs> oh, what, yeah, the see what he says. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, we we have the savant. That was the first word that came to mind. Wow. Do you like, okay. do you like savant? I so. do. <laughs> We are with uh, Jeff Henderson. We're in the middle of a series about the new year. And today's question is, why would I have job goals for the new year? And uh, Jeff is here with us. We're recording uh, right before Thanksgiving, but this is landing December 30th. So this is a great time to think about where you want to go next. Aaron, you were kind of the genesis of kind of this series and this question. What What are you most excited about to talk with Jeff? Well, first of all, I think it's great to start off the new year with the illustrious title once again. I do actually think I need to bring, I need to bring a uh, thesaurus. It's one of these, one of these podcasts, Peter, so I can start throwing out some good compliments back to Peter. Oh. But um, word, no, word of the day calendar. There you just, go. You know. <laughs> uh, no, I'm really um, thankful that Jeff's here with us. Thank you so much, and um, what a great, what a great way to start the new year. Um, you know, it's something I think that. A lot of people are thinking about resolutions right now. Um, a lot of people are thinking about how am I gonna how am I gonna get, go into 2022 strong? Um, what are some things I want to forget about from 2021? What are some things I want to move towards? And I think for a lot of us, career is big. I mean, that's takes up a, you know for a lot of people at least 40 hours of your week, if not probably a lot more. Um, and certainly what you're thinking about a lot more. So, no, I think this is a great conversation to start with. And uh, we have such a it's such a blessing to have Jeff here with us. I know there's a lot lot we're going to be learning here. So, yeah. Well, Jeff, let's uh, before we dive in, let's start personal, share a little bit of your story for those that don't know you. And then we'll jump right in. Sure. Well, I, I'm going to try to keep my y'alls to a minimum, but I'm from Atlanta <laughs> and uh, go Braves. We won the World Series. <laughs> and so and I grew up in the, in the church, preacher's kid, but. My dad told me, if you can do anything else and still be at peace, go do that. And I developed an interest in, well, I was a big sports fan and then developed an interest in marketing. And I didn't know that there was such a thing as sports marketing. I didn't even know you could do that. So ended up, um, my first real job was working in marketing for the, for the Atlanta Braves. And that was fun. Eventually wound up at Chick-fil-A doing all sports marketing and regional marketing for them. And you know, no one ever leaves Chick-fil-A. But we were involved at our local church, North Point Community Church in Atlanta. They were in the midst of launching their first multi-site, and we were so involved there that they came to me and said, hey, you're in a franchise organization with Chick-fil-A. You know how this works. Would you have any interest in coming and joining us? And so there's a long story about all that. But so left Chick-fil-A in 2003, became lead pastor of Buckhead Church, which was the first video multi-site church did that for eight years and then our senior pastor andy stanley said hey we're going to launch a church in gwinnett county could you launch that one as well so we left buckhead to launch gwinnett launched two gwinnett churches and during that time we asked a question that we think organizations need to ask and that is what do you want to be known for and we launched this campaign called for gwinnett that many people are more familiar with what the church is against or what church is for and and uh, you all do a great job with that and so it just I, one day i came to work and i started i got a uh, coffee mug in the mail that said for Winnipeg and hey thanks for nice. what y'all are doing and then I started getting t-shirts in the mail then I wrote this book a couple years ago and so it just kind of started taking off so we became empty nesters in the spring of 2020 and uh, felt like this is where the Lord was was leading us to do so stepped down from our church in the fall of 2020 and I've been traveling around doing this 
Well, before we get into kind of our listeners, I think you already have a ton of credibility, but I think a lot of people in 2021, 22 are thinking about job changes. Walk us through your process from going to be a pastor to now running your own business. And what was that like? What did, what were the questions you were asking? What were some of your fears and maybe what surprised you? The biggest question is who makes a career change during a global pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> and because I, I thought, you know, anytime you do something like this, you think you're the only one or really anything in life. You know, if it's your marriage or something you're like no one has ever struggled, then you share it with someone and they go, oh, no, we, we, me too. You know, that kind of a deal. And so little did I know that, you know, in, in August of 2021, 4.3 million people would do actually the same thing. And you don't need to be flippant about a decision. You don't need to be, you know, unwise but sometimes the greatest risk isn't leaving. Sometimes the greatest risk is staying. Mm -hmm. And you have to weigh that. So this is, of the last 20 years, I've had three big career moves. And the first place I start, obviously, is to uh, listen to God and go, you know, where, where are you going? Where are you taking us? Then Wendy and I, so I, I've got to get a green light from God, a green light from Wendy. And then I have a personal board of advisors that, that have traveled with me and mentors. And if I don't get a green light from them, then I'm not I'm not going to go. So there's some there's some risk involved, but I'm trying to you can't eliminate risk, but you can manage it and you can shrink it. It doesn't have to be the Grand Canyon leap, but you, it can be more of a I'm going to leap over a mud puddle. Now I might get muddy, I might get wet, but it's not going I'm not going to leap to my you know fall to my death thousands of feet below with the Grand Canyon. So I think understanding, don't be afraid of this, but how can you shrink the gap between you know leaping to that next thing before we go further this board of advisors i mentors i i think i just saw you met with them recently what does that look like like what does that sound like when you're sitting down with them and you're kind of saying i think i want to start my company or this is the first year i i mean fill us in what is that first of all they they this wasn't a surprise to them because we've been you know processing a little bit of this. They were actually the ones when Wendy and I were looking toward becoming empty nesters as our son was about to graduate from high school, they said, hey, what do you think you want to do when you're an empty nester? Because you and Wendy are going to have a lot more time on your hands. And I hadn't mm. really thought about that. And that was when they were saying, you should start thinking about that. And the other thing they said is pay attention to where the momentum is. Where's the momentum in your life? So like there's no momentum in me to be a singer, all right? So if I were to tell them, hey, I'm going to become a singer and, and try to make a career with uh, going to coffee shops and playing the guitar, they're going to they're gonna say, there's no clues here. There's no evidence that you can do that. But at, when I released the books and, and started traveling around, part of that was to test out the content for business leaders. Because I know business leaders might say, well, I mean, they may, they may not know my business background. They go, what, what do you know as a pastor about how to run a business? So I would go, I did these, I went on a 24 city business breakfast tour. This is pre-COVID, right? And um, I would come, I would call my wife and I said, there's, there's momentum here. Um, cause they're, cause I, after the, the business breakfast, they would come up and say, Hey, can you come talk to our, our company? Mm -hmm. Can you do this? And so my board was saying, there's momentum here that you need to pay attention to. So, but I got this idea from Jim Collins, you know, he wrote the book, good to great. Mm -hmm. And he said, if Coca-Cola has a board, you should have a board. Mm. They shouldn't be more passionate about sugar water than you are about your one single solitary life. And I thought that's that's true. So these are four guys that have traveled with me and we meet, um, you know, six to seven times a year. But they you know, can always contact me at any time. They have Wendy's cell phone number. They'll they'll touch base with her. And Wendy comes to one of these meetings a year. 
and they'll just say, Jeff was telling us what a great husband he is, so we want to get the real scoop, you know? <laughs> and, and, and so it's not all career, but, and so it's a holistic approach. But in fact, when, when we, before we left Gwinnett, the Gwinnett staff threw a farewell party for us and they were there. The, their wives and the board was right there. And, but I, I approach it like a board meeting. You know, here's what's happening. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm excited about. Here's what I'm worried about. And um, what advice would you have for me between now and the next time we get together? Wow. That's, I mean, that's fascinating. I just want to dig into that a little bit more, actually. It, so, how, you know, how do you do back when you were doing this? I, I imagine the board has been pretty s- stable mm-hmm. over the years. How did you do board recruitment for yourself? Like, what, <laughs> how, do you, how, do, how do you choose? Let's say someone's listening to this right now. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of an interesting idea. I don't really have people I can bounce ideas off of as far as um, personal, well, or professional growth, certainly um, beyond that as well. But, you know, what, what did you look for to find people you could trust to speak into your life in that way. So there's a guy that was telling me he has a personal board of advisors. He goes, I was, you know, I heard that idea from you, so I've got it. I said, well, so tell me about them. He goes, well, you know, they're all my own age. I'm like, time out. That's, <laughs> that's friends, all right? For me, that's not to say that you can't learn from somebody your age or younger, but for me, I wanted someone whose kids were older, uh, who'd been married longer, um, who'd had a career longer than mine, and that I wanted to be like when, when I grew up. That's what I told him. I said, you know, and so... These guys are only seven to eight years older than me, but that's enough of a time span that they have grandkids and all this kind of stuff. And I just said, you know, I want to, I want my marriage to be like yours. I'd love for our kids to grow up like yours. I'd love for our financial situation to be like yours, all of that. Um, And so that's why, you know, that's, that's why you're here at this table because I have a huge respect for you. And they knew they were all a part of Buckhead Church. So they saw me in that role, and they could give me feedback from that. But they, I just had huge respect for them, and I knew when I got to be their age, I wanted to be where they were, you know, in some some, some comparative sense. So that was that was really really helpful. At the same time, they weren't involved as pastors, so we didn't get into church stuff necessarily. Yeah. I mean, we did a little bit, but it was more about how am I doing? And sometimes the biggest gift was I would come into these meetings bothered by something and I would say it out loud. And sometimes they would reflect back to me and go, you know, I don't think you need to be bothered by that. Mm-hmm. And even sometimes when I would say these, you know, these words out loud, even I would think that's not, that shouldn't be that big of a deal. Other times I would say, this is what's bothering me. And they would say, you need to pay attention to that. If I were you, that would bother me too. Mm-hmm. So that was really helpful for me to, for me to just process out loud. And so that, but that for me, again, people can do a board in different ways, but it's all built, however, you know, however your listeners may think, you know, from, from a biblical standpoint, it's a biblical principle here. Mm. And says so the biblical principles, plans fail for lack of advisors, but with many advisors, a plan succeed. And I just want to get as many advisors around the big decisions in my life and go, what do you think about this? Because I told these guys, or you gave me a green light on this career move, if it fails, I can blame you, not me, all right? Because I got the green light from you. And, but they were, when I got green lights from them and they're like, no, you, you have to do this, um, then it's like, okay, this is, this is good. Now, did that shrink the risk completely? No, because now I have to go out and, you know, actually make this happen with the Lord's help. But just the fact that they had looked at this a little bit removed without all the emotions or whatever 
and said, yes, that's a good decision, that was really helpful. Mm. Well, it sounds like, so Peter, I don't know if in our notes for this thing where we're doing like a, a list of potential goals here, but it sounds like one New Year's goal right there is, you know, think about who might be in your life who could be a, a voice for you. I don't know. I mean, it's something for me to think about for sure. I, I think it's a great, it's a great challenge, a great idea. The, the challenge with this is it's one of those important, not urgent things. Yeah. There's nothing urgent about this, you know, because unless there's a decision you have to make. I was so grateful that with this decision coming in the horizon, I didn't have to scramble for this. Mm. I was already meeting. Wendy already knew the players. There was a huge amount of trust there already. So we were already way ahead. And it just helped me, you know, for them to look at the situation and go, absolutely, you gotta, you have to do this. I mean, this is, yeah. you know, one of them said, this is a no brainer. Look at what, look at the momentum that you have. If not, you're gonna regret this someday. Can I, just before Peter, let me, uh, let me just jump in here again. I'm curious, um, your board or even you going through your own thought process, you know, you meant, you talked about when you were gonna make a, a potential big change and you did make a big change going from Chick-fil-A to the church, um, going from one church location to another uh, mm -hmm. and, then, and then going on from there to uh, launch the four company. Uh, were there also moments when there were other potential opportunities that could have come up and your board or just you and your wife evaluated things and thought, you know what, it's, it's time to stay right now. This is where we need to be here right now. What, what, what was that like for you? I just imagine that that's, there, there's probably, for people who are listening to this right now, there's, there's a lot of folks who are thinking, oh, I need to change, but there might be people thinking, do I really need to change? How did you go through that process? Absolutely, five years ago, I got the, for me, the dream marketing job. Mm. You know, I got a call and said, hey, we'd like for you to be over advertising for this company. And, but at the time, my daughter was in high school, my son was in middle school, uh, Gwinnett Church was really gaining a lot of momentum. They loved the church. And this would mean that I would have to go back on the road. Mm. And so we wait. And when you, you know, you do the plus and minus, right? And a, a lot of the pluses, there were a lot of pluses on the, I should do this. And there weren't that many negatives, but the negatives were huge, mm. such as I'm going to miss volleyball and soccer matches. I'm going to be gone for dinner, dinner. And I, and as for me, this is a no judgment zone. As for me, Wendy and I looked at that and said, I don't want to sacrifice this time because mm -hmm. at some point, eventually time will take our kids away. Right. But I don't, I don't want a job to take me away right now. And I'm so grateful I said no. Now, you would think if this was a Hollywood movie that after the kids became empty nesters, that job would resurface and I would get it. It didn't. It's gone away. But I don't have any regrets. And so that, there were times where you have to say no. And what's hard about saying no is when you say no, and there's like nothing other than just going back to work, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I enjoyed what I did, but you're always, you know, in the back of your mind going, gosh, you know, if I'd taken this job, I could retire a lot earlier now, you know, <laughs> that kind of a deal. <laughs> so yes, it's not just, it's not necessarily saying yes, mm -hmm. but it's being clear about why you're saying no. Mm -hmm. You just have to be clear on both. And we just weren't willing at that time to say, to give up what we would have to give up in order to say yes. And that was that was a tough situation. In fact, when I said no, they came back and asked, asked me again. So I didn't have to say no once, I had to say no twice. But, you know, I have no regrets now, no regrets um, saying yes to my family and my kids. Mm. 
that's a you know that's a lot right there um i guess i want to kind of back up and just you've been given a great advice and insight to our listeners and i think even right now we haven't even asked the question of what your exact goals are <laughs> but before we get into that you go on a lot of business breakfasts you meet with a lot of business leaders in the church outside the church and i guess for our listeners that might be skeptical and de-churched um they're probably asking a lot about their careers what are you hearing on the ground about work careers and jobs that just you know it it might warm your heart it might scare you a little bit but what are you hearing as you go business to business church to church so the, the challenge you know we've been through challenging days but with challenging days peter there's opportunities mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons people, like 4.3 million people walked away in August, 4.4 million people walked away from September. I think what this, the COVID season and the challenging two years we've been through is people are now asking the question, now that the offices are reopening and all that, and they're thinking, do I really wanna do this? Mm. Because life's so short. Do I really wanna spend a good portion of my week, every week, working for a company I might not believe in a job that I don't really like, I, I think I've got to find you know something else. And in essence, what they're looking for is purpose. Mm. Mm. That's what they're looking for. And so that's why I tell business leaders, you really need to learn from nonprofit leaders because nonprofit leaders, the only thing we have to sell is purpose. You know, come join our nonprofit, give to our nonprofit because here's our purpose and here's what we're doing. And I remember when I was writing the the book know what you're for a business leader of mine we went to college together he's very successful he's my age he's retired now because he's made all this money and i was saying you know i think there's a lot that business leaders could learn from nonprofit leaders and he was like hey i love you but i don't think so I mean, <laughs> what what could business leaders learn from nonprofit leaders and i said okay i said well like how many of your staff when you were running your own business how many of your staff would you pay and he said what are you talking about we pay everybody i said exactly well at the nonprofit i leave a lead, we have 2,000 volunteers that, that we don't pay anything. We give them a cup of coffee and a donut. And they show <laughs> up on an off day, on a weekend, to sit down with middle school students or elementary school students or be in a cold parking lot and park people in cars. And the only reason they're doing that is purpose. They, they, they've bought into the purpose. And if you can have a really good company that has a really good product and you can combine it with purpose, then that's powerful. It's always been powerful now more than ever, mm -hmm. that's the goal. And so I tell business leaders in today's world, this was already true pre-COVID, but it's now more true than ever, that it's no longer about being the best company in the world. It's about being the best company for the world. Mm -hmm. It's not about how great your company is and look how much better you are than your competitors and all that kind of stuff. We don't care. The question, in fact, and I'll talk, I talk about this at the business breakfast, the younger the demographic the higher the results in, in marketing research is, is becoming when they're, they're asking this question, hey, what is your company doing to make the, our community a better place? And if you don't have a compelling answer for that, they're just going to go shop elsewhere. Mm. So what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm seeing is that there's a search for purpose individually, and there's a search for purpose corporately. And the reason that excites me is, is now doing good is good for business. Mm. If you're not doing good, it's going to impact your bottom line negatively. And now part of doing good is just having a great culture, treating your employees great, because the customer is eventually treated like the team is treated. You can't separate the two. So all of that's really important. I just think now business is a platform to help communities thrive. 
And so that's what I love what you all are doing. You know, when we did the business breakfast here, you're telling the business community, hey, we're for you. We want to help you because the, mm. the, the more you grow, you're going to hire more people. It's going to lift our economy here in Rochester. So that's what I'm seeing that challenging days, but people are rethinking their purpose. And at the same time, companies need to be rethinking it. Wow. That's a lot. So, and it's good. It's good. Um, so let's get to, if you could give two or three goals, um, and we stole that from relationship goals, we're calling these job goals. Mm -hmm. Think about the 24 year old that comes to church once a year, all of a sudden wondering, does faith have to do with my career and might be in a similar situation? Do I want to stay at this company? Do I want to go? What three goals would you give that person? So for, so for a 24 year old, um, first of all, I would be really curious, become more curious about your strengths, right? So, and don't judge yourself over what you don't do well. And I know when I was in my 20s, early 20s, I would beat myself up over what I didn't do well and versus paying attention to what I did do well. So for example, when I worked for the Braves, uh, it was an incredible opportunity because they just threw a bunch of things at me, right? This was back in the days when the Braves weren't winning. So nobody, there was like 3,000 people coming <laughs> to the games, right? So they, didn't have, they had a very lean staff. So I could write promotional scripts and I could create promotions like um, Coca-Cola Helmet Night or whatever, right? But then I would, and I was really good at that. And I was really good at writing and creation and promotions. Um, then I would have to actually sell the advertising for the game programs. And I was horrific at it. My palms would sweat. I would stutter when I would call the person, at, you know, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken to, to buy an ad in the game program. And I realized, okay, I'm not good at sales. And my dad would, you know, I was telling my dad one time, he goes, okay, you've discovered a weakness. You're not good at sales. All right. What are you good at? Well, I'm good at writing and promotion. Okay, pay attention to that. So you've number one, pay attention to your strengths. Do you know your strengths? I mean, I talk to a lot of guys. They spend more time drafting their fantasy football team than they do understanding what they're, what they're good at, all right? <laughs> so if you spend more time, and I'm all for fantasy football, but if you spend more time drafting your fantasy football team than understanding your strengths, you're going to be, you know, you're going to hit a snag or hit a wall going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in my career. Yeah. So number one, get really, and, and, and try things, try things. And, and a strength is something that you do relatively easy and that, that brings a passion to you. So you gotta be understanding your strengths. Secondly, I would get some wise people around you. I would start developing your personal advisory board. If I had done that in my 20s, that would have saved me you know, a lot of time. So who are you, who are you listening to? Who, who can speak into your life? And who is it that you wanna emulate and grow up with? So what's that sounding board? And then the third one would be, um, you know, just do some side hustles. Just, yeah. you know, you can, you can check more than one career box. Um, I, that's what I've done for a number of years, but it wasn't until um, a few years ago when someone told me, oh, you're checking more than one career box. That's awesome. And I'm like, is that, is that allowed? Is that legal? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, and the reason is, is that the more career box you check, the more you're going to discover your career roadmap, right? So those would be the three things I would say. That's good. Stre strengths, uh, <laughs> advisors, and side hustles. I, I like that. That's, that's well, good. Well, um, he didn't know we were going to go here, but I'm going to ask this anyway. So I'm going to look for just goals for two more groups. Let's let's look at someone that's kind of mid-career, you know, parent of two kids. They're seven and nine, and they're in their 30s or 40s. What goals for them? 
And then I feel like your sweet spot is what goals would you give to employers? So, you know, why you start with that midlife career and then move to employers, what goals would you give for them? So I would focus on your primary relationships, which, uh, I mean, I think you need to give your best to your best. So your best, if you've got two kids, if you're married, I would say give your best to your marriage and give your best to your kids. And my former boss, Andy Stanley, would say choose to cheat. If you've got to cheat, cheat the company, not the people in your life, because mm-hmm. they're going to turn around. And we've experienced this. Wendy and I have. We're going to turn around, and now it's the two of us and our dog, because our two kids are in Birmingham, Alabama now, right? So, But that's not to say that you have to put your career on autopilot. Um, and I would say continue to get better, continue to improve. The two, Truett Cathy told me the two ways you improve are the books you read and the people you interact with. Mm. So make sure that you are, you know, iron sharpens iron, another biblical principle. So if it's, you know, young marriage, two kids, I can just say focus on those families and focus on those most important people. But at the same time, do your very, very best and bring your best to work. Try to get better, continue to improve and know that this is a season. This is a season. So, um, are, you, are you saying that reading uh, ESPN uh, to get your fantasy team better is not the best place to be <laughs> reading to improve yourself? Is that well? You can. Uh, well, here's the thing. My son actually got me into fantasy football, so that was a way to spend time with my son, there right? You go. So, so that 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 was awesome. Maybe one time he said, "Dad, there's this tight end called Gronkowski. I think he's going to be good. I think we're going to draft him." And so the the rest is history. Look, look, look at you, call, you calling Buffalo out there, you know. <laughs> But by the way, just this morning, I was talking to one of our students. He's going to Syracuse to be an analytics person. So if you have a job in analytics and football, go right ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I do think, you know, connecting to a a faith community like this would would be really, really important. And just, you know, having a circle of people that you're doing life with. I think in that, you know, those those are the old analogy that the days are long, but the years are fast. It's so, so true in that in that season. So I would say give your best to your best in that season. Hmm. Um, I think from the employer standpoint, I mean, it's a competitive work environment like never before. And people can, you know, there will be people tomorrow that'll say, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm not coming back to the office. If you're going to force me to drive this office 35 minutes away, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just going to go figure something else out. So there needs to be purpose awaiting people when they go to work every day. Mm-hmm. What, and you've got to, if you can't articulate the purpose of your company, um, then you are leaving money on the table. And so you've got to become great vision carriers and vision casters. And what is the problem your company or organization is trying to solve? And if you do that, you create what I call a no snooze alarm organization that when the snooze alarm, when the alarm goes off, they don't hit snooze. They're like, no, I, I get to go do this today. Mm-hmm. And you either, you know, if people are like, I don't have to do this, I'll, I'll go figure something else out. And it's, it's as if people have woken up to think, I don't have to go to this office. I'm just going to go do something else now. And because of the labor shortage that we're in, that's true. Because they're getting calls from headhunters going, just come over here. So... I think as a company, you have to, right now is a great opportunity to ask the question, what do we want to be known for? What are we known for? And how are we shrinking the gap between those two? Mm. Do you think, um, I mean, I don't, I, I don't have necessarily opinion either way. I'm really curious because you've been watching this with the great resignation and things like that. I mean, do you think, do you think people are jumping the gun too fast to leave their, uh, here, I guess here's the, here's the question I had rattling around in my head while you were talking was, um, 
there are definitely times to move on. There are definitely times when, when God wants you to move on. Let's say you didn't feel released from a place yet, even though you don't really know, you know, the mission <laughs> or the purpose of the mm -hmm. overall company. Are there ways people can be, you know, for their community within the company and help change the culture? I, ultimately, I'm sure that the leadership has to change the company, but how can, how could someone in that situation be trying to change or making a, a positive change where they're at if they didn't feel like they could move on yet? Or, you know, there's multiple levels there. Are people jumping too fast in the great resignation? And if they don't want to go away yet, you know, how can they be making positive changes in the new year? Can I, can I add this too? I grew up a block away from this little company called International Business Machine, <laughs> um, IBM. But, um, you know, when my dad started working there, the thought was that Thomas Watson was this great CEO that was, I want to keep employees for 20 or 30 years. And going through what IBM went through in the 90s, there definitely seemed to be a shift in focus. So to Aaron's point, I grew up in a place that my dad's company got sold. And like I, it went from the dream as you work for a company for 40 years to now even hearing you talk, which is be open to different opportunities. I'm just as curious as Aaron, how you match those together, staying long enough to change the culture or realizing maybe it's time for the next chapter. So the one of the things that's often overlooked when someone leaves is if you're going to leave, great, you have to finish well. Mm -hmm. Because the way you finish a season often dictates how you begin your next season. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes a company leaves us, right? Uh, and we don't have control over all that. And I've heard this analogy that um, transitions are the devil's playground because emotions are involved. Okay, so, but every situation, the last three moves I made, the first thing I did is I got really clear with how am I going to leave here? So for example, at Gwinnett Church just a year ago, when I announced my resignation, that had actually been in a conversation been going on for probably 10 months mm. for people that were that I reported to and all that. So this wasn't a surprise. We knew this was coming, lots of conversations. So when I announced it to the staff, um, I got together with our leadership team and said, okay, here's the runway. I'm, I'm going to be leaving in, in six weeks. Um, here's the projects I'm working on. Because I, I flipped it. I said, now I work for you. And so are these the projects you need me to work on? You know, I got to preach a sermon series. I've got these different projects going on and I got a green light. Yes, that's, that's of these, of the last things you do here, that's what we need you to focus on. Then I wrote um, over a hundred thank you notes mm -hmm. to staff members and people at the corporate office, if you will, North Point Ministries to say, hey, thanks. It's been an incredible 17 years. Um, you know, if I can ever do anything, help me. Let me, let me know how I can help. Um, and and then obviously, you know, handled all of the announcements and everything with the church. I just wanted to finish really well. So if it's one of these situations where you're burning down the bridge and you're going to take down the because it feels good, especially if there's some kind of, you know, difficult situation, I tell people don't burn down the bridge because the person who gets burned the most is you. Because mm -hmm. you only have one, you know, the old analogy, first impression, right? Well, there's the last impression as mm -hmm. well. And you don't want to work for a company for 15 years and give a, la a bad last impression. Now, there's two, two, two roads to that. There's how you leave the organization, which is what you have control over, and that's how the organization leaves you. You don't have control over that. But you, don't ha you can't let how they are leaving you dictate your final days. And Wendy would, you know, when I'd go to work um, my last few days at Gwinnett Church, she goes, hey, you know, finish well, finish well, finish well. And I just wanted to tell the team, 
nothing against golf, but I'm not going to be playing golf for the next six weeks. I'm going to be working, you know, I'm going to run through that finish line tape. I'm going to finish well because mm. I won't ever get these days back, you know, and I don't want to go look back and go, oh, I just kind of slacked off. Um, at the same time, um, Jimmy Collins was the president at Chick-fil-A when I was there, and he set his retirement date, and he said, my goal is is that a couple of years after I'm gone, people would come, maybe an operator or someone would call the, the, you know, the front, front desk and say, hey, can I speak to Jimmy? My hope is that re- the receptionist would say, Jimmy who? Hmm. who? We don't know. And he goes, I want to leave with no muddy footprints. And that was one of the things, you know, as much as is within your power, try to leave with no muddy footprints mm. because you never know if you'll ever need to come back and ask for help, right? And that's not the only reason you do that. But when I left Chick-fil-A to help launch Buckhead Church, I mean, back in the day, this was a video church. I mean, who never, who never heard of a video church? It was crazy. <laughs> I'm trying to articulate to my parents, I'm going to leave a multi-billion dollar company that likes me a whole lot to start a church where the preacher's on video. I mean, that just was totally nuts. <laughs> but I did the same thing. I wrote 70 handwritten thank you notes to all the people in marketing and the executive committee. I didn't say this in the note, but basically the note said, if Buckhead Church doesn't work, can I come back and work here, <laughs> right? So when you leave poorly, even if it's a challenging season, if you leave poorly, it actually ends up um, impacting you. So. Are people just up and quitting? Yes, but I think you've got to, even in that in that situation, you've got to finish well. Mm-hmm. Finishing well says a lot about your character. More actually than starting, because if you start well, well, there's something in it for you, right? If you finish well, I mean, there's something in it for you, but it says more about your character, about I want to serve these people really, really well. Mm. I want to back up a little bit because you, you kind of walked someone into if they are leaving you know, you, you shared the story about there was a point that you got offered a marketing company job and you said no. And I want to kind of come back because there's a 37-year-old, you know, has their whole family, he or she, in town. They're at a job that is okay. You know, it's kind of meeting some of their needs. But they kind of know if I start looking for a job and say, you know, I get hired in remotely and I have to travel or I get hired to the other side of the world or a couple hours away. I'm literally almost choosing my career over my family. And I guess, how how would you help someone kind of navigate this year? It's not terrible, but it's not perfect. And you even said this, um, you said, I said no, and I didn't have anywhere else to go. How would you talk to that person about 2022? Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important. In fact, th- this next book I'm writing, What to Do Next, one of the mo- the key at, uh, key pieces of advice I get or give is to create optimal options. So what is an optimal option? An optimal option is to create financial freedom for yourself. The, one of the worst things that can happen to somebody is if the right opportunity comes around and they can't pursue it because they can't do it financially. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, like when we left Chick-fil-A, we had to take a 30, 35% pay cut um, because imagine a church can't pay as much as a multi-billion dollar company, right? So in the early days of our marriage, Wendy and I went through two financial small groups because, you know, in any marriage, you're taking two financial institutions and bringing them to, to, to one, you know? And so we said, here's what we want to do to operate, you know, our lives together financially. So we um, started implementing financial principles into our lives so that when the opportunity came from North Point, 
we knew it was the thing to do. So imagine this. Imagine looking at this and going, this is what God wants us to do. This is what we want to do. But we can't do it because we have to take a 35% pay cut. Mm-hmm. All right. So especially for people in their 20s and 30s, I tell them that I, I can't figure out what I'm supposed to do. I'm like, well, tell me about your finances. Well, that's a personal question. Well, okay. Well, you don't have to tell me everything, but are you, if, if, an, if a job came today and you had to take a 35% pay cut, could you do it? Mm-hmm. And if you can't do it, then the best thing that's happened for you right now is that thing hasn't come, come to you. You know, so you got to fight for this. And I mean, the good news is there's all kinds of financial curriculum out there that's available to you. You got to fight for this. You got to climb the money wall. And so I think it's really, really important. Uh, create optimal options. That's another thing what side hustles do. I mean, people come to me all the time and say, hey, do you think I should be a Chick-fil-A operator? And um, my response is, I don't know. But what you should do is you should go to your local Chick-fil-A and apply to work part-time there. If you don't like your part-time job there, I guarantee you, you're not going to like running the place. But if you're like, gosh, I love this business, hey, you're on to something. So that's an optimal option. So you got to create a lot of options. And I think sometimes we think of trying to find that next career move as looking for the needle in the haystack. No, what you need to do is just work on some creating some optimal options. That's what the career risk assessment does for people that we've created from our website. It gives you a red light, yellow light, or green light. And depending on what the light is, it gives you some work to do. Because sometimes people get paralyzed and what they do is they live in fear or they live in worry or they live in frustration. And I'm like, that's not the way you figure out what to do next. The way you figure out what to do next is action. Mm. So you take a financial course or you do a part-time job or you're comfortable saying no to the scenes because it's not the right time for you. One of the things John Maxwell told me is it's not just making the right decision. There's the right decision. If you make the right decision at the wrong time, that's the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. There's the right decision at the right time, that's the right decision. So when we make career decisions like this, we can't just think, is this the right decision? We have to think, is this the right time? Mm-hmm. And I think some folks right now might be making the right decision at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a problem. Say more about that. Well, I think that goes back to the board of advisors or people speaking into your life. Because if these guys said right decision but wrong time, and, and that's what they said with this marketing opportunity, right right opportunity. I mean, you would do well at this. You know this world. You love this company. You love this opportunity. But is this the right time? And we're like, no. And so to be able to separate those mm-hmm. and look at them differently, because a lot of people just make the decision based on the decision. You know, based on salary and all that kind of stuff. That's true. But it just wasn't the right time for us. Now, my priorities might not be someone else's priorities. That's cool. And again, no judgment zone. But you got to figure out what the right time is. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, John Maxwell calls it the law of timing. It's one of his 21 irrefutable laws of leadership, and it's the law of timing. Mm-hmm. And the law of timing is is of there's there's two there's the law of intuition and the law of timing and john says those are the two that's the hardest mm. because it's more intangible it's nuanced and but for wendy and me when that decision came about we're like yeah that's a that's a great opportunity it's the wrong time mm. wow but Let, let's uh i i sort of jumping off of that is um let's say somebody is uh you know they're they're looking at 2022 and this person is thinking, you know what, I, I want to, 
I, I'm not I'm not sad with where I am right now, um, and I actually kind of like the mission of where I'm at right now. But but it's time to I mean you kind of went through this time to to do my own thing. It's time to start my own organization or my own business or what is you know maybe you have three things, but what's the top thing you would tell that person to think through before making a leap that direction? What you know what did you have to go through? What is what have you learned by watching other people? What would you say to that person? I would encourage them to listen to my board of advisors when they ask me, where's the momentum and pay attention to the momentum. So like I didn't, it'd be one thing if I, you know, made this career move and said, you know what I want to do? Sometime I want to write a book and go around and speak about that. Well, that had already been done and I'd already gone to 24 cities to speak about it. Right. So now I had something I could go, here's some momentum and I can leverage that. Mm. So, I would try to have something that's again, that goes back to the side hustle, yeah. create optimal options that I still had a full time job. I mean, we were we were launching another church. So I was pastor of two churches. OK, right. so we were already when we were launching a second location at our current lo- uh, church. So I was still doing that, but also doing this um, side hustle of the business breakfast tour. And so I would ask them, where's the momentum that you have? And if you don't have any momentum, then if I were your board member, I would say, well, let's put a two-year time limit on this or a one-year time limit. What are you going to do to come back to me and say and present your case to me that I'm going to quit and go start this? Mm-hmm. What, where, what's going to give me – if I'm going to invest – let's say I'm going to financially invest in this. You've got to convince me that this is a good financial investment. And if you're just starting from scratch – I mean, that happens and that's cool. And sometimes that, you know, that's the story of many people. That's great. But if you've got a current job that you really like, and and that was your example, Aaron, then I would say, I don't think that you have to to quit this current job to try to figure out this next path. Now it's gonna it's gonna require a little bit more of you. Sure. But I prefer doing it that way versus because, you know, the hardest person you'll ever work for is yourself. I think there's this fallacy of, I want to own my own business someday. And that's awesome. And that's great. But that's hard. You know, it's hard. I mean, this is the first time in my life that I've been working for me and Wendy and I are working for each other. And, you know, this is, we're not getting a paycheck every two weeks. So it's a whole new world out there. And, but it's, it's, you know, some of it's great. Some of it's challenging. If you go into this thinking it's going to be, uh, every day is going to be this glorious thing. <laughs> you know, I don't think that's the life of anybody, right? So there's going to be great things. Like for me, I went from leading a staff of 60 to going to a coffee shop, opening up my laptop and being by myself. Well, that was a change. That was a, that was a, that was a new rhythm that mm. I was having to make. And I was lonely, you know, and I'm an introvert. So imagine an introvert being lonely. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was, all part of that, but um, you know, I, and so one of the things I did is I hired a transition consultant that just actually—that's a fancy title for therapist, right? <laughs> so, but we just processed my transition, right? And uh, he said, "This is so helpful." He said, "Jeff, transitions are a journey, not a moment. Mm. We think my last day. I put in a two-week notice, and now on my first days at this job." And he goes, "We have a tendency to think." Transitions are, you know, moments. Because transitions a journey, mm. and you're going to go through. Especially for us, you know, we launched three churches. We launched um, a community. We hired people, and then we 
walked away from all of it. So there's a, and when we walked away from Chick-fil-A, there's a certain amount of grief, there's a certain amount of challenge to that. And grieving is a part of a transition. And we don't talk about that enough. Right. In fact, that's in the book. I talk about the grief of transition. And the first line is, I know you didn't buy this book to talk about grief, <laughs> but we have to talk about it. Wow. You know, we uh, we interviewed Matt Tresseter, who's the CEO of Leader. And something that it got me thinking about while you were talking was he said, when I became CEO, I realized there was no one else I could go to. Because, you know, if you have a problem, it's like, I can go just, he's like, oh, I'm that person. And that's what it kind of sounds like. And that's why a lot of CEOs are lonely. And that's why organizations really need, like, you know, leader help surround people that to say, hey, I understand. And and I, I, I actually face the same thing in my organization, right? It's why you know, senior pastors, lead pastors are, are lonely people because, especially because people think since you're a pastor, you, you have no issues because you, know, you and God are tight, right? And so a lot of these folks hide. They don't really feel like there's a place to, that they can really share what's really going on. And, and that's, that's why a lot of leaders get in trouble. Mm. Well, let's, uh, speaking of that, we'll, we'll close with these two questions. This has been a rich conversation. Um, so a lot of people are listening to this cause they care about their careers and you, you kind of have the trifecta of your, you've worked in the corporate world, you've worked in church. And uh, I think there's probably this question you know, why does my job matter to my spirituality? And even the reverse, why does my spirituality matter to my job? And um, as someone who's kind of walked in all these worlds, why is our job so important to our faith? And why is faith so important to our job? Mm -hmm. So when I left Chick-fil-A, the question I got, Peter, was, so tell me about your decision to go in full-time ministry, because I left, you know, Chick-fil-A to go work at a church. And I said, well, okay, you have to understand, I already was in full-time ministry. And that wasn't because I was working for Christian Chicken that's closed on Sunday, right? This was way before that. And I think we have, um, I think in Christian world, to some extent, we have a flawed theology of work. We feel like pastors are in full-time ministry, and the rest of us are just, you know, out here just trying to make a living. That's not the biblical concept of work. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, it says, whatever, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of the Lord, working on, uh, unto him. The word whatever means whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have to understand that work, whatever it is that you do, is a platform for, for to glorify God. But I love what Martin Luther said, because I think what if we're not careful, we can think, well, so running a business, a, a Christian, if you will, business, quote unquote business, that means we need to have Bible studies at lunch and we need to put like, you know, Bible verses on our products. And I'm all for, I'm all for Bible studies at lunch and Bible verses on your products. That's not it. Martin Luther said that when um, God loves it, when the maid sweeps the floor, not because she hums a Christian song as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. <laughs> and God loves it when the shoe craftsman, craftsman makes the shoes not because he puts little crosses on the shoes, but because God loves great craftsmanship. Mm. And, you know, if you look, not that this is a Bible study, guys, but if you look at the introduction of work, it did not happen in Genesis 3 after the fall when he says, you know, I'm going to curse, you know, by the sweat of your brow. Work actually was introduced in the perfect environment. You know, God said, oh, I got a great idea. You're going to work. And that's a, that's a gift. Now, we live in a fallen world, but that means we can redeem the original concept of work. 
And the purpose of work is simply this. The purpose of your life at work is to show that God is at work in your life. And it honestly drives me crazy that there are Christian leaders who treat their staff poorly, mm. but call themselves Christians. And I'm like, God's not pleased with that. In fact, I'll be honest with you, you know, the, the, the hidden secret in church world is that for a lot of churches, they're a terrible place to work. Mm. And the problem with that is, first of all, those are God's kids that you're leading, but also you can't have a dysfunctional staff and have a functional church. It's gonna flow. And, you, and that's tr- no, true not just in church, it's true in the business world because the customer is eventually treated like the team is treated. So our life at work is vitally important to our, our faith and I, because it's an opportunity for us to display um, how great God is. And so that's why when I see Christian leaders with high standards of excellence and man, they're just doing this great and they have this great culture. I'm like, look, that, that's, that's ministry. Whether you wanna call it or not, that's ministry. And as I travel around the country, I'm seeing businesses understand that and they're, God's really honoring that. So God's doing something in the business world right now based on what we've all been through, which is really, really exciting. So I just feel like it's, it's not this thing that we go do you know, during the week and that God's not, you know, and then I have my relationship with God on Sunday. No, no, no. Our, you know, what we're learning on Sundays should filter to what we're doing at work. How do you answer that for the entry worker, mid-level person? In terms of? Well, you talked a lot about, you know, leaders and kind of culture. You know, if I'm entry mid-level, I realize I have a responsibility, but I'm not in control of that. How do I live out, you know, especially if I feel stuck or if I'm thinking about a transition, I have coworkers that I like and I don't like. Um, take it really per. I know you mentioned the Martin Luther, the maid, and mm-hmm. the cobbler, but I'm a mid-level person. I'm a I'm a low le- level in a thousand-person company. How do I take my faith to work in a helpful way? So I would say that vernacular, I'm low level, I'm mid-level, uh, is wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say I'm a leader, and there are people that I lead. I lead up to my boss. I lead sideways to people that are my colleagues, and there may be somebody below me, but there's a fallacy that says, if I were ever a leader, no, you are a leader. And you can't wait now. Uh, and you know, it's the 360 degree leader. You're, you're, you're a leader. Now you may not be the leader of the company, but one of the things I was told at Chick-fil-A is here's three ways you succeed. Um, you work really hard, you make your boss look really great, and you don't ask for a promotion. Mm-hmm. If you do those three things, you're gonna, you're gonna thrive here. And that third one, you don't ask for a promotion was, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna work hard because it's connected to working hard, but I'm gonna make my boss look as successful and be as successful as I possibly can. If I do that, those two, first two, will take care of the third one. So when I hear, uh, if, if I was in charge or if I was the leader, sometimes there's a warning light that goes off going, uh, I understand what you're saying because you're not the leader, I get that. You can influence the leader. And you can bring, we all bring an emotional climate to work. What is your emotional climate? You know, because you can't control theirs, but you can control yours. Mm. And so I would bring the best you, the best gift that you can give your organization is the best you. Mm. So how are you doing that? How are you delivering that? And if you consistently do that, but it's still not a great place to work, then you might need to find, you know, what to do next. That's great. But 
sometimes I, he, I feel like some of those things are just an excuse for me not to take responsibility for what I'm doing. Um, and so I work really hard, make your boss look great. And, you know, whether we want to say don't ask for a promotion, that's a whole other thing. But, but I just would be careful about not, and I know that's not what you're saying, Peter, but I, I would be careful going, um, sometimes I feel like uh, I hear kind of a victimhood, you know, and again, if you're in a very, if you're in a dysfunctional work environment that's tr that's abusing you and treating you bad, you need to get out of there. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, w there's a responsibility that we all have to bring our best to the table. Mm -hmm. I think that was really good. Um, I think that's going to challenge our listeners. So we close every episode with a question. This has been really rich. Um, we say, "What does Jesus have to say about work goals for the new year?" So Aaron and I answer. And then we expect the guests to clean up any messes that we <laughs> left. So I think I, I think you're pretty good at that. So who's going first? I can go first if you want. Oh, go right ahead. All man. right. Yeah, well, first, actually, I wanted to ask, so when is your new book coming out? Is it in 2022? It is. It's in August of 2022. All yep. right. So I'm actually in the final edits of it right now. In fact, on the way, on the flight home tomorrow, I'll you know wrap up my second round of edits. So, awesome. Yep. We'll look forward to that for sure. Can you remind our listeners what the title is? As they sure. It's simply What to Do Next. What to Do Next. What to Do Next. I love it. And, uh, and I think it's it's based on, you know, my three career moves. And it's a little bit about what I've learned and good, bad, and ugly of that. And um, and just processing all of that. It's really, you know, specifically about the last year. and um, But I think there are general principles um, that I've learned over these years that as people call me, go, hey, you made a career move. What would you do? And I share a few of these things, and they're like, "Why don't you put that in the book?" So I finally did. <laughs> That's so, great. No, yeah. August, good. Yeah. I'm you you have such a hard time talking about it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is great. I, I, I'm, you know, where Peter mentioned we're we're taping this, uh, you know, just before Thanksgiving. I know it's dropping at the New Year, which I think is this is a great time to be thinking. I'm glad I get a few extra weeks to think about it before. Uh, the, I mean, I, I really love what you've been talking about. Um, and I love that in the last question Peter just asked, you brought up the idea of work being something that is um, God wants us to do. He created work before the fall. It's, right. And, uh, you know, that gives a, shows the importance of it. It also shows that it's it's a good thing. It's supposed to be a good thing. And um, I, I I love that. And I think that's... You know, when you were preaching at our church uh, this past fall, uh, you you really emphasized in the context of what the church is doing to be for its community, keeping the main thing the main thing. And mm -hmm. I think we need to do that in all areas of our life. Sure. Uh, certainly, um, you know, where we spend 40 plus, you know, 60 plus, whatever the number is, hours, um, and more than that, thinking about, uh, right. you know, let's, let's uh, keep the main thing the main thing there, keep... Um, you know, we need to have have our eyes on on God, on Jesus, and and know that He cares about where we're at. No, I think that's great. I also love how you've been talking about um, applying real strategy to it. A real, you know, not just not just going on a whim with it, not just being putting it on autopilot. I think you said, right. and um, I really think that's that's important to process through through something so important. So that's that's my takeaway. I also think it's something. You know, I think I think. Jesus would want us to be giving serious attention to it. So there you go, Peter. No, that was really good. I, um, you know, I kept thinking about Paul in the New Testament who he had a couple times where he repeated this idea to really embrace where you are. But if for some reason you're, you need to go somewhere else, that's okay. And 
I think it just hints to everything that Jeff's been talking about with us, which is really, it's not about where your job is, it's about who you are. And I think the reason why Paul was even talking about that is, here's someone that was in prison, he was a tent maker, part-time pastor, and there was times he was a full-time pastor. And you think about that, all of this discussion, yeah, it'd be awesome if you got promoted, it'd be awesome if you started your own company, but if you never become the person God's called you to be, You'll have a mess in the long run. And on the positive side, um, if you become the person that God's called you to be, you'll flourish at your job, you'll flourish at home. And I think that what this episode is leaving me with in 2022 is is don't just look at one area of your life to flourish. Look how God wants to work in all the areas of your life. Sure. And I don't think there's anything there that I need to clean up. That was that was <laughs> awesome. So <laughs> I would just say kudos to that. Amen to that. And I would say this too. There's one idea. I mean, I'm a huge, I know this is coming near the uh, first of the year. I'm a huge New Year's resolutions guy. I mean, this is like the week before, the week between Christmas and New Year's, you know, it's great because you're dreaming and all this kind of stuff. So I'm all in. One of the things I've discovered though is I've missed that energy that I have in January. I wish I could have it in April Mm. and even May. So I came up with this idea called first in 10. It's really simple. It's what if you could do something for the first 10 days of every month. Mm. So that's 120 days of momentum versus just something in January. So it could be, I'm gonna work out for 10 days straight, or I'm gonna only drink water for 10 days. Or I'm gonna you know, write a thank you note for 10 days. And what I've discovered is those pushes for the first 10 days of every month are fantastic. So you take the energy of January and you spread it out throughout the rest of the year. So I would add that to your listeners to go, hey, what could you do? Obviously it's January coming up. But what, what would you want to do in the first 10 days of February? And what would you want to do for the first 10 days of March? Mm-hmm. And if you do that for the, for the rest of the year, that's 120 days of positive momentum, positive action. So as you think about that, as you think about this new year, I would take that idea and apply it and plug it into 2022. I love that. I love it too. I uh, So by the way, I subscribe to Jeff's weekly email. It's one of the best emails I get every week. He sends his career health or er, career uh, risk assessment. Um, we, we have a lot of assessments here. So um, people can find you at jeffhenderson.com. Where else can they find you? Yeah, jeffhenderson.com and, uh, or, you know, all the social media stuff. But we'd love to, for them to jump on the, uh, the email because uh, we try to just try to add value to, to folks and what they're doing. Awesome. And then to get a hold of us, this episode and any other episode, go to whygotawhypodcast.com. Click subscribe to our email. Thank you so very much. Have a wonderful day. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.